Uh, we're going to be in the book of John tonight. So if y'all want to turn on your Bibles. Yeah. It's a classic story for those of you who grew up in the church from John chapter 4. The woman at the well. John was a follower of Jesus who wrote a gospel or an account of good news about Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And we've been looking at John 4 in the adult discipleship class I've been leading the last few weeks. So everyone gets a sneak peek at what we've been doing. I'm lucky you guys. I want to give you guys some context to the story. At this point in the book of John, Jesus' ministry has started gathering uh, or grabbing the attention of the people in power, especially the Jewish religious leaders of the day. They don't like what they're seeing and hearing, and so Jesus decides to head back to his home turf to delay the confrontation. And to do that, he heads through Samaria. Um, Jews viewed Samaria a little like how Aggies view that school in Austin, but actually way worse. Um, so they would often make their trip twice as long and go around Samaria, crossing the Jordan River twice, just to avoid associating with it. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans were their inferior rivals. There's a long history of conflict going back centuries, starting with a civil war between the northern and southern tribes of Israel. When the northern tribes, centered in Samaria, were conquered and carried off as captives by the Assyrian Empire, the few remaining Israelites intermarried with the people groups that the Assyrians moved in. Um, they were like half-bloods, to borrow a phrase from Harry Potter. Uh, then the southern Israelite tribes were worshiping God in Jerusalem, near Mount Zion. But the northern Israelite tribes, the Samaritans, believed they should worship God near Mount Gerizim. Now, Mount Gerizim had some ancient Israelite history around it. Uh, the Samaritans believed it was the center of the sacrificial activity of Israel's patriarchs, claiming Bethel and Mount Moriah were other names for Mount Gerizim. And Mount Gerizim was where blessings were pronounced by the ancient Israelites when they gathered to reaffirm the covenant God had given them. I think the Samaritans saw the temple in Jerusalem as a little bit of maybe a power grab by the southern tribes. And in 110 BC, after the successful Maccabean revolt against Greece, the Jewish king and priest, John Hyrcanus, uh, he led a campaign against Samaria during which he destroyed the temple on Gerizim. So the Jews and the Samaritans both believed the others to be heretics. And once the Northern Samaritans and the Southern Jews were both conquered by the Babylonians, the Jews had to compete with the Samaritans for resources and influence. So if all that history was way too much for you to follow as I said it out loud, here's the gist. You mix the political competition, the intermarriage with foreigners, and the religious division, and you can see why Jews hated Samaritans. There was just too much tension in the air. In John 4, Jesus interacts with not just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. Jewish men, especially respectable Jewish rabbis who taught the law, like Jesus, did not talk to women. Not women in public who were unrelated to them. Definitely not unrelated women in public alone at a well. 
They didn't want even the hint of impropriety. And women, unfortunately, were stereotyped as either temptresses or stupid. So with all that tension and delight in the air, let's read John 4, 5 through 26. Eventually, Jesus came to the Samaritan village of Sakar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans, like we just talked about. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. I want you guys to find a partner to talk to about this passage. I'm going to give you all two minutes. I'd love for each of you to share one thing that struck you about this passage that you found interesting or new or confusing, and one question that you have after hearing this passage. When I've heard this story, uh, most of the focus has been on the Samaritan woman, on her past and how she interacts with Jesus. And I'll talk some about that but I really want us to focus on Jesus tonight. So here he is, a Jewish man approaching a Samaritan woman, asking her to meet his need. Jesus meets Sammy in his own need. Now Jesus could have created some water for himself um, or a bucket to get the water out of the well, 
or called an angel to refresh him. Uh, But Jesus does miracles with a purpose, to bless the needy, teach who God is, proclaim that God's kingdom has come. In Matthew 4, one of the passages we actually focus on during Lent, Jesus is tempted by the devil to provide bread for himself when he's hungry, and Jesus refuses. So here he is in the middle of a hot day, thirsty and tired and alone, without a way to get water. And along comes Sammy. She can meet that need. But as the conversation progresses, Jesus is able to offer to meet her needs. He's coming from Jerusalem, where he's known, where crowds ask him for miracles and respect his teaching. But here in Samaria, nobody knows him. Sammy isn't expecting him to do or say anything. In fact, she doesn't know what to expect. He's breaking protocol. A Jewish man has approached her in need. So her antenna is up. And now he offers to meet her needs in an intriguing way. And Sammy engages. But she has some objections. She points out he doesn't have anything to scoop water up in, the very reason he seemed to be talking to her in the first place. She brings up Jacob, a shared ancestor. That could easily have provoked a fight, since the Jews didn't really like that the Samaritans claimed similar ancestors, what with them marrying all those foreigners. And they didn't like that the Samaritans claimed to be following the patriarch's laws more closely. On top of all that, no one's found a better water source in the area since Jacob's time. What better water could Jesus possibly have found? He's not from the area. What is he doing? But in all these objections and digressions, Sammy is engaging with Jesus and his offer. He presses through these things because they aren't as important as her need for life welling up inside of her. He could engage on the topics, but it wouldn't get to the heart of who he is or who she is. So Jesus presses through to offer to meet Sammy's deepest needs. Now, don't write her off as dumb for missing his meaning. Um, You know, what he actually says does mean a running spring water. He's not using metaphorical language there. And they're standing next to a well from which Jesus had just asked her for water. She's intrigued by the possibility of never having to do this arduous chore again. I would focus in on that too, probably. And in fact, I think everybody in the Gospels misses Jesus' meaning. Um, The disciples miss it when he uses a similar metaphor around food and harvest later in this chapter. Most of the religious leaders are so against Jesus' teachings and miracles that he's had to leave town. And in John 3, shortly before this, a religious leader named Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night to try to understand Jesus and what he was up to. Jesus confronts his ignorance that as a leader, well-versed in their holy writings, someone who's trying to follow God, he's missed what God is doing. Jesus talks about water and eternal life quite a few times in the chapters around John 4, too. Without eternal life welling up inside of us, without God saving us, we just keep missing what God's up to. And I think John is trying to draw our attention to the fact that the religious leaders, the disciples, and Sammy don't have eternal life welling up inside of them until Jesus reveals himself and they respond by coming towards him. So even without really getting it, 
Sammy's doing the right thing. She's intrigued by his offer to meet her deepest needs, and she asks more questions. That's when he reveals he knows her past. He sees her, all of her. He knows she's had five previous husbands and is now with a man she isn't married to. So there are two potential interpretations of this chunk of the passage. The typical interpretation is that she's flippant towards marriage, that she's likely an adulteress and her husbands keep divorcing her or she divorces them. Jesus was clear that divorce is a sin, but he also was quick to extend grace and favor to people that the Jewish community judged. God knows the deep hurt divorce causes, whether you're initiating the divorce, you're the one blindsided by it, or it's mutually agreed upon. During Jesus's time, her community would have treated Sammy with disrespect and disgust. And that interpretation may be true. There's a second way to interpret this passage, that uh, Sammy was a five-time widow. People got married young. The death rate was much higher. Women couldn't initiate divorces on their own. And men were unlikely to marry a woman who'd been divorced. So maybe the reason she's alone at the well isn't that she's being shunned by the community for being so sinful. Maybe she's depressed and wants to be alone in her grief. Whether she's the victim of terrible tragedy or she's chosen to sin, she's vulnerable. If all five husbands have died, she has no financial support and is hurting from so much loss. So she's vulnerable. If it's choices she keeps making that keep sinking her deeper into desperation, looking for someone, anyone, to meet her emotional and financial needs, she's vulnerable. Sin leaves us all vulnerable. One way of understanding sin is that it's us choosing to live in ways God has said are bad for us because he knows how he created us to live. He knows things turn out badly for us personally and for everyone and everything around us when we choose to live in ways that go against how he made us. And the consequences of those choices, those sins, leave us vulnerable and with other people around us. Hope instead of despair, joy instead of mourning, truth instead of lies strength to live a new way. So we don't know for sure whether Sammy's been divorced, widowed, or both. And I wonder if we need to know. I think the point is that Jesus is revealing his power by revealing his knowledge of Sammy's life. Jesus reveals he knows her needs, whatever the cause of them. Jesus sees her in all her vulnerability and brokenness and despair in all her need. All of us humans endure suffering we could never have foreseen and can't avoid. And we also bring struggles upon ourselves. And most of the things that are hard in our lives are caused by a combination of uncontrollable circumstances and our choices. And Jesus sees it all for each of us. And whether Sammy is convicted of her sin or amazed at his supernatural knowledge of her life and her pain, she recognizes a man of God in front of her. To us, her next question seems like a rabbit trail, but it was the big important disagreement between Jews and Samaritans in how they worshiped God, in where they worshiped God. And Jesus answers her question with an even bigger truth, because that's what he likes to do. 
He likes to do that when people pose questions that they think are this either or kind of question. So both the Jews and Samaritans had forgotten that the location of God's house was not the point. It was originally mobile so that they could go with the people or so that God could go with the people. Within one generation of creating an official permanent location for the temple, the nation split into two, each half claiming to have the right answer of proper worship and theology. And I think uh, we make the same mistake as the Jews and Samaritans when we cling to our right answers around proper worship and theology. We stop seeking God. We get stuck. And we start fights with people who we think have the wrong answers to worship and theology. And I'm not saying there aren't any right answers, right? Jesus says the Father is looking for people to worship him in truth. But when we pat ourselves on the back for being right and draw lines declaring what is wrong, we miss out on the deeper truth that the Father may want to show us as he helps all of us who disagree, worship him more deeply, learn to love one another, and find his truth together. Sammy recognizes that he's just revealed a new way to relate to God, which isn't something your everyday prophet did. The Samaritans didn't use the word Messiah, and that's a, that's a Jewish term. They believed a great teacher prophet was coming, someone like Moses had been, but they used a different word for it, Teheb, I think it was. So Sammy is reaching across barriers to ask him about the Messiah, this Jewish idea, to see what he has to say about the one who would explain the truth. And that's when he reveals himself more fully to her. He's come to teach the truth because Jesus is truth. He's more than a great teacher prophet. He reveals this new way to relate to God, worshiping in spirit and in truth, because Jesus is that way. And he can offer Sammy living water because Jesus is life. I love this passage. Jesus sees our deepest needs. And he uses our needs, our vulnerabilities, our brokenness, our desires, our very humanity to draw us closer to him. Sammy wants an easy source of water, but she needs eternal life. She wants to understand a religious debate, but she needs to relate to God in spirit and in truth. Jesus draws her in with talk of water, but draws her even closer with truth. The whole thing started by him approaching her in need, and as she engaged with him, he got to reveal more and more intriguing truth about himself. Sammy responds by running to tell her village, and they respond by coming to see Jesus, inviting him to stay with him for a few days, and believing in him. Sammy starts the story by addressing Jesus as Jew, then sir, then prophet, then Messiah. And her people end the story by proclaiming that Jesus is the savior of the world. So like Sammy, let's consider some potential ways to respond to what we've learned. Jesus gives us living water. Water that will quench your every thirst, meet your deepest needs. Just like when thirst suddenly hits us, sometimes we're not aware of what our deepest needs are until we become really desperate and have to look them full in the face. And just like when we mistake thirst for hunger, sometimes we mistake what our real need is. So Jesus knows our deepest needs, thankfully, and wants his life to well up inside of us to meet our needs. 
So what questions do you have for Jesus right now? What's pressing on you? He might have an answer, or he may want to push through them to get to a deeper matter, like he did with uh, Sammy. So I want us to take a minute or two and bring our questions to Jesus and soak in his living water that he's welling up inside of us. So we'll take a minute in silence to bring our questions and to let Jesus' water quench our thirsts. God, um, yeah, come, come and speak to us. Come and be present with us. Come, life, and uh, fill us up. Thank you, Jesus, that you meet our every need and that um, even short moments like this, um, you can meet our needs and that, um, yeah, you are drawing us closer and with your living water. Uh, so I, I do want to say also this living water isn't just meant to make us feel good inside, isn't meant to just meet us in our questions. I think that's a bad place to stop. Um, water goes stagnant after a while if it's um, stuck. And so God's living water is meant to be welling up for others in your life, just like it did for Sammy. When we don't share what we've received... We rob others of knowing God's goodness, and we become inward-focused, unhealthy. Obviously, we don't need to swing the pendulum in the opposite direction, where we only try to share God's goodness with others and rarely experience it for ourselves. We don't need to sacrifice our needs and get burnt out in the process. The point is to receive God's life, let it well up inside of you, and respond to the goodness you receive by inviting others to receive it from God, too. So we're going to take some time here in a second to think and talk about how we could do that this next week. And there are two things I'd like for you to consider um, as we do that. So first, um, Jesus approaches Sammy in need. It was really refreshing for me to, to remember that Jesus lived this fully human life, needs and all. Um, I really resist being vulnerable with others. I don't like to admit my needs to myself, much less to other people. And so I tend to share just enough without actually getting into like my really deep fears and sins and hopes and regrets. And so I'm, um, I struggle with being vulnerable. And I'm even less vulnerable with people that I'm not sure are following Jesus with their lives. This last uh, fall, I started attending a weekly group run by the library called Babies and Books. I wanted uh, my son Walter to get, to get to spend time with other kids his own age and, you know, be exposed to books. And um, I wanted a chance to connect with women who might not be involved in a church um, and who also had a kid Walter's age. And so it has been very slow going, but I have actually gotten to connect with some of the women there. And uh, this year, um, towards the beginning of the semester, I realized I needed to be honest about my fears, um, about Walter's language development, uh, about my frustration around my um, job hunt. And um, it has been really hard to go to others in my need. I mean, it's March, and I'm still just like barely scratching the surface of my vulnerability with them. I do want to say, while it's not always what God calls us to, um, 
maybe that'd be unhelpful for them or really damaging for you. Uh, going to other people in my need, um, it's what he's been inviting me to do. Uh, it's what he invites, uh, what he does in this passage, and it's, it's what he did um, coming to earth as a baby. Um, and so I, I think that um, that can be a good model um, for us to consider. Second, Jesus genuinely engages with Sammy. I don't think he approaches her about water just so he can manipulate the conversation to be about him. The passage says he was tired, sitting by a well, waiting for food that his disciples were going to bring from the village. Then he has this opportunity to reveal himself to her, and he takes it. But he's definitely not engaging with her because somebody at church encouraged him to. He's not treating his conversation with her like a, a project to complete and feel good about or a task to figure out how to finish without regard for what Sammy needs or is open to. And um, since I'm high on the task side of the task people-oriented spectrum, I need to remind myself of those things like that. So as you think about this next week, remember Jesus came to Sammy in need and genuinely engaged with her. How can you share God's life with others in this next week? Are there some ways you could interact vulnerably and in need to others who don't know him? I want you to turn to your partner and talk about some ways that you might be able to do that this next week. Maybe even brainstorm together. Um, God, I, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the opportunities you place in front of us. Um, I pray that you would give us courage like Jesus did, uh, like Jesus had to, to take those opportunities. Um, yeah, God, we, uh, we tend to oh, miss out um, and we need your life um, welling up inside of us. We need that fresh bubbling spring giving us eternal life to choose um, courage and um, to choose to seize those opportunities like you did in the midst of um, tension and, um, yeah, divisiveness. You approached Sammy um, with, with truth and life. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would give us courage to hold those things out to other people. Amen. We're going to take communion now. And I did want to say I didn't get to go into a ton of depth on a few things like the newer interpretation of Sammy's past or divorce or what the Gospel of John says about eternal life. If you want to ask me questions or share anything with me, I'd love to talk. But let's receive now from the Lord. Let's receive, yeah, life welling up inside of us, the life that he gave for us.